Welcome to Days of Roar, the Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorosh. I'm here with Tigers beat writer Evan Petzold. We're going to discuss a two and four week at home that uh, was kind of disappointing and you got a chance to uh, sleep in your own bed for five days and watch some fun stuff and mostly terrible stuff. Talk to me about what you've been seeing down there. I'm really tired of the fact that we have this conversation, it feels like every other week, where the Tigers go on the road, they play really well. I say, Mark, you think they have a chance? You think there's any shot that they can maybe compete? And then they come back home and they absolutely suck. And then they go on the road and they play well. And then they, you know, come back home and they suck again. And it's just kind of this like constant cycle of this team that can't play well at home, but seems to figure out a way to play well on the road. Even when they're playing good teams on the road, I feel like they play decent. I mean, it's not like, you know, they've absolutely crapped the bat against, you know, difficult opponents. Like they, they played well. I mean, they've shown well against teams like the Seattle Mariners. Um, you know, they, they won a game in Miami against the Marlins. I thought that was a, a, a pretty good series, to be honest. The games that they lost were by a couple runs, and that was it. I mean, it, it's it's frustrating, though. I mean, they go to Boston, and I thought they played decent against Boston, but at the same time, you only came out of there with one win, but they still played well enough where you kind of said, hey, you know what? Like, you know, they didn't absolutely, you know, kind of fall over against uh, against the Red Sox. Like, maybe there's something there. They, they play well against the Twins, you know, at home and, and then on the road as well. And they play good against Cleveland on the road. It's just the, the frustration is you come home and they just can't do anything. It, they, there's just no offense. Um, and it's it's frustrating and it's disappointing. I mean, the, the record shows, right? I mean, the Tigers, it's, it's, it's not good. It's 28 and 37 at home, minus 92 run differential. That's no good. And, you know, now they're 12 and two in August. Like we mentioned, it's a two and four week. And, you know, they went from me saying, hey, maybe they have a chance to now being, you know, on late Sunday night heading into Monday, eight and a half games out of first place in the American League Central. And it just it feels like you can kiss those hopes goodbye. Of course, they go and they're going to play the Yankees this week at home. And then, you know, they go to Chicago and we all know that, you know, the Chicago White Sox have been an absolute train wreck all season long. So the New York Yankees, they'll play them on the road as well. So that's again, that's a road series. The Tigers could go and they could come out of that. At six games in the road, they they could win four or five of those games. I could see it happening. And then we come back and we have this same conversation. So I'm really tired of the runaround with this team. I just want to know, hey, are you for real or are you not? And I really do think that what we saw throughout the entire week and especially over this weekend told me that the Tigers are not for real. So I'll define something for you. You know what a terrible team is? A terrible team is a team that loses to everybody. Okay? You know what a bad team is? A bad team is a team that a little less than 50% of the time plays really poorly, okay? And because you just cannot rely on them to consistently play well. If you want to know what a team, a good-looking team is, I hope you watched Houston play because this is probably the worst version of the Astros in like five years. They should have swept the series. And they're really good. I I tweeted something earlier today, which was in the first 21 innings of the three games, they scored two runs and had six hits, the Detroit Tigers. I mean, look, we, we can stop talking about, is there a chance? Yeah, there's a chance they'll finish the season. There's not a chance that they're going to finish the season doing anything of substance. So I think 
what we really need to start discussing is what they finally did, which we have been begging them to do for six to eight weeks. They brought up Parker Meadows and they need to do more things like that because whether these players would struggle or thrive, you get to see them against the best competition in the world. They get exposure. They're not over, you know, they get to they get to understand what playing in the big big leagues are, and you know if these players are going to have a chance or actually play for them and be pieces next year, they get a head start. It's good for the team. It's good for the player. And personally, Toledo's not making the playoffs. I have no idea right now why some players are playing in Toledo and are not playing. In Detroit. I mean, I, well, let me I'm ask you, sure Mark, why. because this and this is this is question one of the big two. I'll introduce it, right? The Parker Meadows effect and is he a piece? To kind of start with that, though, if Parker Meadows was called up, let's say two months ago, you think he'd be doing what he's doing now? I mean, we never really again, the world will never know because Parker Meadows was not called up until you know Monday, the series opener against the Chicago Cubs, a week ago from when this podcast is going to publish, but. If he was called up two months ago, would he have been and would he be as effective as he is right now? Like, that's kind of the question that I have. And that's what I think, you know, we have to see what Colt Keith looks like when he comes up. What does Justin Henry Malloy look like? How about Wenzel Perez? And some of those guys, you know what? We might not see them until next year. I don't know if we're going to see Colt Keith until next year. I think it's more likely that we see Perez. I think it's more likely that we see Justin Henry Malloy. I think those guys are higher on that pecking order right now as well as some of the other guys in the 40-man roster, like Ryan Kreidler. Um, let's just, I mean, Andre Lipschitz is another name, Eddie's Leonard. I mean, there are some guys on the 40-man roster who probably deserve an opportunity, and I think that's justified because they've been on the 40, and you got to get a look at it. We've had that conversation over and over again. But to my point, is Parker Meadows as effective as he is? As Scott Harris said, in all facets of the game, if he's called up two months ago, that's my counterpoint to, to that. I mean, I, I understand the push for the young guys. We've been making the push. Do I think that Colt Keith is the most talented option for the Tigers at second base? 100%. Do I think Malloy is probably the most uh, best option for them when it comes to a pure bat that's going to be able to move the ball forward, draw you walk? Yes, 1,000%. Is he better than the guys you have on the, the roster right now? 1,000%. But is he someone who's ready to contribute right now in all facets of the game? Is he going to have that calm heartbeat in the big moment with the bases loaded? Is he going to have the, the calm heartbeat when the Tigers are in a 1-1 game and they need a big hit, as we saw Parker Meadows deliver on Friday against the Astros? Are those guys going to have that same calmness to them? Like, I, I don't know the answer to that question because they're not here, but it does make you wonder if maybe the Tigers waited and they pressed the bite right button at the right time in making the move with Parker Meadows. All right. So let's be blunt about these things. All right. So my answer is absolutely. But you have to understand what team president Scott Harris was doing is he was sitting at Parker Meadows until he still qualified for rookie of the year and his draft choice that he might be able to earn if he is rookie of the year, no matter how long of the longest of long shots that may be for 2024. Was he ready six or eight weeks ago? Well, 
You tell me. In June, he hit 318. His slash was 318, 355, 45. He had four homers, 13 runs batted in. He had 15 extra base hits and 35 hits for the month. In July, he hit 241. His slash was 241, 361, 544. Pretty similar. Uh, and in August, he hit 232, and his slash was 232, 321, 478. So are you asking me, was he ready at the end of June? Yeah, probably. But they had the reasons for not bringing him up. So let's, you know, I think that Scott Harris has a method to his madness. I don't almost ever agree with it, but he's the boss. He's getting paid. It's like when people love to tell me, hey, Mark, he needed to evaluate what was going on. And my answer is, uh, did they pay him for the last 342 days he's been team president? Because if they did, I'm wondering what he was evaluating because he's not a paid consultant to come in and self-scout the Detroit Tigers. His job was to make them a lot better. And so my question becomes, what's he done to make them a lot better? Uh, And that's, that's a question maybe that we can ask when the season's over. But at the end of the day, if you're asking me about Parker Meadows, my answer is I think he was exactly the same player. Uh, seven weeks ago that he is today. He could have done the same things. He'd have got a lot more experience. And we would have found out when bad things started to happen, how he dealt with them, how he deals with adversity. Can he come out of it? Can he stay with it? I mean, heck, Riley Green, I think, if I'm not crazy, is two for his last 24. Uh, and he's you know, probably struggling pretty mightily in his last 45 at-bats. But I'm not too worried about Riley because I've seen him work through these things before. He, you know, exhibits the same issues whenever he's struggling. He's hit an inordinate amount of ground balls, especially to second base. And just either he's very tired, his foot's hurting him, or he's just struggling for the first time in two and a half months. But I know that he's going to come out of it. So the- I do want to make a point really quick and something that – we didn't address earlier, and actually I wasn't completely aware of because with the new CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, it actually does say that. So players that are eligible for MLB's prospect promotion incentive, they have to be top 100 in at least two of the three lists that are, combi- that are compiled by MLB.com, Baseball America, and ESPN. So Parker Meadows wouldn't have qualified for that, I do not believe. Now, I don't know if because – Look, when it gets to the offseason, if Parker Meadows somehow doesn't have enough games, he then gets added to the top 100. Then he starts, you know, obviously with the Tigers when 2024 begins. Does he somehow qualify? I'm not entirely sure. But I actually don't think that Parker Meadows qualified for that. And I do think that Colt Keith might be the only guy who actually does qualify for that. So I don't know if that changes your opinion on the situation at all. Again, that that gets into the nitty-gritty of the CBA, which can be really difficult to understand. Um and it, it can be kind of frustrating sometimes, too, to kind of read between the lines of what it's actually trying to say. But it sounds like players actually had to be in the top 100 on two of those three lists, MLB.com, Baseball America, ESPN, to be eligible for the prospect promotion incentive. Now, it sound, now it also seems like, though, players can still get a full year of service time if they win Rookie of the Year 
regardless of when they're called up, even if they're not, you know, on the preseason top 100. But for teams, it's like, hey, if you have a top 100 guy, promote him to the big leagues. And if he wins something, then you get a draft pick because of that. That's why that's why Julio Rodriguez got it. I think Michael Harris, uh, the second, you know, didn't qualify because he didn't spend enough time on the roster, first and foremost. And then, Correct. you know, secondly, he also wasn't on two of the three required preseason top 100 list. So it is a preseason top 100 list. So maybe Parker Meadows lights it up at the end of the year, gets added to that, and then maybe he's in the mix. Like, I don't know exactly how the details of all that work, but it is something to consider that it, that it is a little bit more up in the air than maybe as, as cut and dry as we initially thought. So you asked me the question. So A, I'm sure there are some people you can call in the front office and get some clarity on that. And I'd be very interested to know the answer because I think you bring, bring up an outstanding point. But let, let me hear the Evan Petzold perspective about, you know, based on what I told you and now you're watching them and – you know, Parker Meadows, of all the prospects the Tigers have, may have the most minor league at-bats out of anybody. So you tell me if you think seven weeks extra in Toledo magically did something to put the last polish on Parker Meadows' game to make him at least look like he's ready to contribute at the major league level. What, what's your thought about that? I don't think so. You don't think that the last seven weeks make a big difference or you think they do make a difference? No, I don't, I don't think they do. I mean, look, I think that Parker Meadows is Parker Meadows and he is who he is. And I do understand like the idea of, Hey, you know, we want to get him more at bats against different types of pitchers and triple A. These are guys that are going to be shuttled up and down. Like he's going to maybe see some of these arms when he comes to the big leagues. I understand the point. And I get it completely. And it does make some sense. But at the same time, like, I don't know, like part of me believes in the athlete, right? Like I believe in the athlete as opposed to some idea that like, hey, they need an extra seven weeks. I believe in Parker Meadows because I've seen Parker Meadows play well. I've seen him in spring training run the bases like a speed demon. I've seen him track down balls in center field. I've seen him piss all over balls for home runs. I mean, we've seen that in spring training, right? So I think I, for me, I believe in the athlete before I believe in just this like made up date or this made up time or like, again, what's to say that like, you know, Parker Meadows was called up on a Monday. What's to say that he couldn't have joined the Tigers on, I don't know, the Monday before that or the right. Monday before that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's kind of one of those things. I understand they wanted to debut him in Detroit. It makes total sense. I think that was a wise move by the Tigers in the, in the front office. But like, what's to say that he wouldn't have been ready a week before or three days before or... 14 days before, like, I, I think the player is the player. And also Parker Meadows is going to come with the same flaws that he would have come with, that he's going to come with, you know, if he would have been up here 14 days before, like there's still going to be a lot of swing and miss in that bat. Like there are going to be ups and downs. Pitchers will learn how to pitch against him. They will expose the crap out of them and they're going to force him to make an adjustment. Like that would happen whether he was up here today, yesterday, Monday, two weeks ago, um, a month ago, right? Like that, that would still be the case. Agree on that's my take. Look, so let's talk about the fun stuff because so Parker Meadows was a lot of fun this week, huh? I mean, a couple things. I mean, look, we can talk about the home run, but uh, you're sitting in a great spot to watch him play defense. So 
There's a lot of room out there. It's, it's ridiculous, like, Mark. It's, it's not like playing in Marchant Stadium in the spring for four innings. It what what have you seen? How quickly does he glide to the baseball? How's his jumps and how much ground is he covering? Because he makes it look really easy. He makes it look way easier than it is. I mean, he there, there's a look. Here's the best way I can put it. Riley Green was pretty comfortable in center field. Riley Green had pretty good instincts. He had a pretty good first jump when you look at both, you know, last year and this year combined. Wasn't the fastest player, didn't always take the greatest of routes, but this was a guy who had a pretty good first step, really good with the pre-pitch preparation, and, you know, he, he went as hard as anybody in center field. And the Tigers moved Riley Green, arguably like their up-and-coming franchise player, off center field for Parker Meadows. And I think that tells you everything you need to know. Like, Parker Meadows is legit in center field. He makes it look easy. He reads balls off the bat extremely well. He takes great routes. He knows when to dive. He knows when he doesn't need to. He commands the outfield. It seems like, you know, even in, even really right away, like right when the game started, I mean, he made his first catch that he had um, in his first game. He kind of gave a little point to Akil Badu, who was playing in left field, Riley Green in right field, and kind of gave a little nod. And it was like, okay, yeah, like I'm in control of this outfield. And he's really owning it. Like, I think that's probably where his game shines the brightest which is really dangerous because the guy's drawn five walks with nine strikeouts. And I'm going to emphasize the five walks since he's been up here. Also had a monster home run. He has wheels on the bases. There's so many things that he brings to the Tigers. And to say that like his defense is probably the number one, you know, the brightest star of that bunch. And you're already seeing as much as you've seen out of the bat and on the bases. I think that tells you a lot about just how good his defense is, but also how good the player could be too. So yeah, I mean, it's as good as it gets. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's his defense looks pretty special. I I think Riley will be fine in right. I think he'll play a lot of right. I also think he's really got the potential to be very, very good in left, better than he is in right. I'll be interested to see what they do about that. I have a few thoughts about that that we don't have to discuss today, but going forward, I'd, I'd love to see them get a power-hitting right fielder that could run and play some defense, even if they'll only be around for a year. You know, I, I Parker's been really impressive. I think his capacity to draw some walks, his patience level, get deeper in counts, swing decisions, uh, been surprisingly good. Well, look no further than Friday's game. I mean, he got Ryan Presley on the mound for the Astros, who's as good as it gets, and Parker Meadows is in the box with runners on second and third and two outs in the bottom of the ninth. It's a one-one game, and he needs a big hit. And he and he came up to, he came up to the plate earlier in his MLB debut. I mean, it was his MLB debut. Like he had an opportunity with the bases loaded. He had a couple other opportunities with runners in scoring position and wasn't able to come through. But he had really good at bats throughout, and that paid off on Friday when he's in a situation where he takes first pitch change up a little bit outside, but you know, in the strike zone. Takes it for a called strike. He's behind 0-1. And in that situation, it's really easy for a hitter to get overly aggressive. You see the guys on second and third. You know you got to drive in those runs. And it's not even about hitting a home run in that situation. It's just about, I got to get the ball in play. There's two outs. Runners on second and third. I got to get on base. I got to get on base because the run is going to come home if I can get on base. And that that wins the game. And, you know, Ryan Presley goes down in the dirt with a changeup. Meadows doesn't swing at it. He goes outside with a slider. Doesn't swing at it. And then he gets a curveball inside. It was hung a little bit up. It was pretty much like middle in. And he just absolutely turns on it and, and belts the thing. 
And it's a three-run home run, game over. Tigers win four to one, walk-off fashion. It was a great moment. Torkelson and Green come up with the Gatorade jugs, pour it all over Meadows and, and Trevor Thompson from Valley Sports Detroit. Jake Rogers comes up with the shaving cream and a towel and rubs it all over Parker's face. And but I think the quality of that bat there was the most impressive thing to me. Like we know Parker Meadows can turn on the ball and hit a home run. But it's laying off that change up down in the dirt after going down 0-1 when you can get really overly aggressive in that situation. That tells me he's very mature. He's very comfortable. Now, is he taking that pitch if he's called up again? If he's called up a month earlier, if he's called up a month and a half earlier, I don't know. Nobody will ever know. But like I do understand, and that's why I do understand some of the sentiment of like why the Tigers waited and said, hey, look. We want this guy to be a complete player. We want to, we want him to see a ton of different types of pitching. We want him to be completely comfortable in his shoes when he gets here in both, you know, the smaller moments and in the big moments game on the line. Parker Meadows showed a lot of maturity in that at bat. That was that was really impressive to me. When I when I saw that and I went back and looked at where those pitches were and understanding the situation, I was blown away. Look, all I'll say about Parker Meadows is was he ready as a prospect? Uh, he was well done. Let's just say that. Not well done as in good job. Well done as, you know, rare, medium, well done. He was well done. And it's been very enlightening watching him. There's still obviously some potholes to navigate. Do I think he's, you know, a 275 hitter? Probably not. But at the same time, if Parker Meadows can be 245, 320, 440, 18 homers, he's probably a three-war player with his defense. And as we've discussed many times, you and I, a three-war center fielder, move Riley Green to left. His defense should play very well there. He's going to be a four-war player. And now we're starting to It's an everyday center fielder. Right. We're starting to accomplish things we need to accomplish. Plus, he hits left-handed. Plus, he steals bases. Plus, he plays defense. Uh, You know, a lot of good things. It's another piece. It's one less thing they need to worry about. I mean, he could be a steady 2020 guy, Mark. He could be a steady 2020 guy. I can see it. He's never, like I said, I don't think he's ever hitting 275. But if he hit 250 with 2020 and he walked 10% of the time, 9% of the time, and played the kind of defense he seems like he will play, yeah, that's a piece, dude. That's, that's a piece. And it's, I think if you're building a core and you have team chemistry, he's part of that. He knows everybody, he's liked. Uh, nobody, he, nobody dislikes Parker Meadows. Yeah, you talk to anybody so, in the organization, top to bottom, love him. So, yeah, it's his first week. He uh, He's done a lot of fun things. There's many hundreds of at-bats. He will be playing regularly for the rest of the year. If I was Akil Badu, I would know that I'm not getting regular at-bats too much, especially with the fact that I'm sure Miguel, the last two weeks of the season's going to play almost every day. So I'm excited to see what uh, what Parker can do. I think that he's done a lot of fun stuff this week in what was kind of a weird, weird week. So I want to I want to touch on something before we get to the second question of the big two. But talk to me about Verlander. Miggy was pretty electric down there today, and. Uh, the first at bat was was definitely a show. It was funny as hell. What would you think? It was a pretty special moment to watch. I mean, even from my chair, right? I'm somebody who I 
grew up in the Detroit area. I grew up on Miguel Cabrera. I grew up on Justin Verlander. And to see the respect from Verlander and Cabrera, you know, for Verlander, obviously he gets all the, the cheers when he comes back to Detroit. The fans love him. Um, you know, how couldn't they? And, you know, takes takes his time and, and kind of, you know, he, he notices the crowd. I think he appreciated the crowd. But then he gave Miggy his moment and he stepped back off the mound and, you know, gave a hat tip. He, he did a little wave to the fans to say thank you. But then, you know, hat tip to Miggy. And, you know, Miguel steps in the box and, you know, kind of winks at him, gives him a little nod. And then right when he steps in the box, he grabs his helmet and he tips his helmet too. And that was a really special moment for me to see as somebody who grew up watching both of those players in, I, I know Verlander still seems like he's kind of in the prime of his career, right? Even though he's 40, but I mean, I watched both those guys growing up. I mean, I watched Verlander throw his first no hitter when I was just a little kid. And um, I mean, obviously I watched him throw his second no hitter too. I remember where I was in, in both of those situations. And, you know, I've, I remember watching Miguel with his monster three home run game against the Texas Rangers. I remember where I was when he did that, when he won the triple crown and, you know, got that ovation in Kansas city and, just, you know, growing up on that, like that was really cool to be a part of of that and see that from afar. And then and then to get to write about it as well was was pretty sweet. But yeah, no, I mean, it was a cool moment and something that I know that, you know, Verlander is going to cherish, something that Cabrera is going to cherish. And then the at bat itself was really fun because Cabrera, uh, Verlander started him out with uh, four straight fastballs and the first two were up above the strike zone. Uh, he dropped down the two right down the pipe right two right down the pipe that cabrera <laughs> fouled off it was at 92.7 miles an hour and 94 miles an hour so cabrera definitely had his opportunity to get his hit there against uh his buddy justin verlander and then just like oh my gosh a nasty curveball just at the top of the strike zone painted the top of the zone anybody that's pissed about the home plate umpire just stop because that was a beautiful pitch it was right on the black it was as good as it gets and um yeah, Cabrera was caught looking. There, there was no chance. I mean, he, he, I think he was expecting another fastball and just absolutely got fooled by the curveball there. But it was cool. Like, I understand that Miguel didn't get a hit against him. And barring, like, some miraculous postseason matchup, which we're not going back and talking about the Tigers and their postseason chances because I just can't do it anymore. But, like, barring that, you know, moment, like, this is the final matchup for these guys. And so just to see that interaction and then to see Verlander throw in, like, you know, the vintage breaking ball uh, to strike him out looking was pretty sweet. And then they had their second at bat in the third inning. And that was actually a pretty big moment in the game where the Tigers had runners on first and second with two outs. Cabrera's up to the plate and it was foul ball, foul ball, foul ball, foul ball, fouled four in a row and took a ball in the dirt and then struck out, or excuse me, and then grounded out on a curveball that was down and away. So, you know, Verlander got him again in their second of two matchups on Sunday. But yeah, it was fun. I mean, those are those are two legends going at it, Mark. Like, how cool is that? That like these two guys are both first battle hall of famers. They played on the same team. They are such like icons in Detroit, and they are such a big part of what the Tigers have been doing for years and years going back. And and now they like get to face for the last time as Cabrera gets ready to retire. Like, I don't know, like how cool is that for you to watch? You're someone who, who grew up watching those guys too. I mean, obviously later in life, but like that's a big part of your your baseball life, right? Listen, I I've had a baseball life since I'm six years old. So I mean, I used to sit in my room and read the baseball encyclopedia when I was six. So, but weren't those guys I've, as good as I, it got? I've, I've seen some amazing things in my life. I've been to some amazing things that are historic that I re- I'll remember until the day I die. I mean, I saw Dick McAuliffe 
you know, charged the mound against Tommy John and Tommy John was out for the rest of the season. <laughs> and I've seen the 68 world series riding my bike home to see it that they played in the afternoon. And I've, I've been to the 71 all-star game. I've, I've done some amazing baseball things in my lifetime. And in the last month, I have seen two things that will always be near and dear to me. Otani. I the, the we didn't really talk about this enough, but you know the Otani day. People could argue is one of the greatest days in the history of Major League Baseball, and I would argue that that is true with anybody that wants to argue it with me. And some, I'd love to talk to Jay Jaffe about that, who always has a tremendous perspective about baseball history. I'd love to talk to. Uh, you know, lots of people. David Lorela. I, I, there's a lot of people who love and have respect. I'd like to talk to Lynn Henning about that. And it, it, it was such a unique day. But to have that day and today when the two, two of the greatest Tigers of all time who were teammates for nine years, who did just phenomenal things for a decade together, two of the best of the era, if not all for sure, all time, facing each other for the last time in Comerica Park. I mean, could you get a better build-up, more history of the Detroit Tigers, if you love the Detroit Tigers, than watching that? And it, I would, five years from now, after Justin retires at 47, whatever, with 45 years old, when he finally retires, because <laughs> holy smokes, is he still good at 40? Chugging along. Um, I, he, he didn't look like he threw a max effort pitch all day. Well, yeah. I thought he did dial it up when there were runners on base. I mean, he, he really did make some adjustments in the big moments, which, as A.J. Hinch said, that's what the elite players do. He executed in the big moments, but I'm not, you know, I've seen him throw 97 this year and he didn't throw any 97s today. So, you know, what I will say is he can execute a pitch when it means something like there's no tomorrow still. Like that first at bat against Cabrera with that, that uh, curveball they threw in. I mean, dropped it in. So, you know, but, but just to get back to the history of it, how great was that that they tipped their hat to each other before the at bat starts? I mean, oh my God, was that awesome. So, there's all right, I'm going to there. Hey, there's a lot of respect both ways. Especially. You think? And, a lot and, of respect. And, and they should be. All right. We're, uh, we're going to get back to, uh, question two of the big two after that Cabrera Verlander discussion and we're going to be back we're going to take a break for a minute lastly I just want to add to the to the Miggy Ver discussion uh it was nice to see Miguel uh launch today and i he's launched a couple times now in the past couple weeks i think he's trying to do it a little bit more and i want him to get to 513 which means he needs three more and you might think i'm nuts thinking he could do that but i think he could actually do it pretty easily and what i do think is going to start happening in this last month much more than you think is people are going to start grooving a few fastballs as the season winds down to try, you know, 
to give them some some stuff to hit, especially if the Tigers are down five, six, seven runs and he's getting some at bats. So there could I, be some extra presence, right? I mean, look, look. I mean, he should have had two home runs in the series if it wasn't for Kyle Tucker robbing him of the home run in Friday's game. So that could have been two homers in 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 one series in three right. games. Like, like that that was a very real possibility. We've seen him get to that pull side homer more. We saw the oppo home run that that could have been on Friday before Tucker reached up into those flowers out in uh yep. out in right field and robbed it. But like he's showing some pop and, and he definitely is uh he know he knows the end is near. Yeah, he knows the end is near. He's trying to launch a little bit, and I'm all here for it. So, all right, let's uh, let's touch on question two of the big two, which is, what's the plan and who do we see soon? Uh, I think I sent you something today, and I tweeted something. Uh, I looked at the lineup for Toledo today, and normally it's like going to an estate sale or uh, the junkyard when you're looking at Toledo's lineup in other years. But today, aside from uh, Tyler Nevin, who is far from a prospect, and I think his 52 at-bats tell you, I don't think he's getting any more at-bats for the Detroit Tigers, but the rest of the entire lineup were a varying degree of prospect for the Detroit Tigers. And, you know, hitting in the leadoff spot was... One Wenzel Perez, who has been absolutely hammering AAA uh, to the tune of uh, you know almost a thousand OPS. I think he has three, if not four, homers. He's walked quite a bit, playing multiple positions. He's on the forty. Got to think, uh, good chance he gets a look here in another, you know, ten days or less. Um, not sure where he's going to play. I'm sure he'll play a lot of places, second, third, outfield. But I, I, I'll be shocked if he isn't recalled. And uh, there's going to be probably a few other things. I, I got to think they're going to recall Trey Wingenter. I mean, Vest has been horrible. Andrew Vasquez, I mean, come on. Andrew Vasquez, it, I, I get it. But, you know, I think that experiment should be over tomorrow morning. Well, I, look, man. I mean, I I wrote my stock watch on uh, on the off day, and there's a reason that when I wrote stock down, what I do is I do you know three players stock up, I do three players stock down. There's a reason that I put Will Vest and Andrew Vasquez on the top of that list for stock down because Will Vest has just looked absolutely terrible, um, especially the slider has looked terrible since coming off the injured list. And you know he normally executes pretty well when he's put in mm-hmm. situations, regardless of them. We saw that pre-injury. But since coming back, he just hasn't been the same, and the slider just hasn't had that same bite to it. So that's somebody that, like, look, like you want to get him right before 2024. I, I don't think it would be a crazy idea to send him down to Toledo, let him work out the kinks, and you know what? Maybe you get him another look here before the season ends at some point. But if not, like, no big deal. He goes into spring training. He should feel pretty good about his chances of making the team. Um, but obviously, you know, you always got something to prove. As for Andrew Vasquez, yeah, that experience needs to end. I mean, it's a guy who throws – almost all sliders, but doesn't get any swing and miss on them at all. So guys are going to be putting the ball in play. Now, not a ton of, not a ton of hard contact, which is a good thing because he's able to limit, you know, he's able to limit damage on that. But at the same time, if you're not throwing strikes, if you're not commanding that slider, if you're leaking them over the plate, guys are going to do damage. So if you're throwing a slider and you're not getting any swings and misses on it, you better be able to locate it. And he hasn't been able to do that. That's a problem. He's walked some, he's, he's, Appeared 10 times. He's walked somebody seven times. 
He's had 19 base runners in six innings. He's been on five teams, six teams in the last five years, and it's not a mystery. So, but you know. but Mark, you go look at that Toledo lineup, and you're right. Like there are some guys. Wenzel Perez is a dude. He's somebody that if I'm Akil Badu, I'm worried about Wenzel Perez more than anybody. That's the guy I'm worried about because that's a switch hitter who can play in the infield. But you know what? He's better in the outfield. And he's a switch hitter. I mean, that's something that the Tigers have been dying to have. They need a switch hitter on their roster. That that provides so much lineup flexibility for A.J. Hinch. He's able to mix and match and maneuver knowing that he has a switch hitter either in the lineup or on the bench. And that would be a huge advantage to him. Also, Wenzel Perez is hitting the ball great. He's crushing it. Now, here's the kind of the whole take on that, though. It's like, you know, he's only played like 28 games in Toledo. He's only got, you know, 125 or so plate appearances at Parker Meadows at 113 games and like more than 400, maybe even 500 plate appearances in AAA Toledo. If he needed that many to be ready to see enough of that pitching, you know, are they going to be able to just let Wenzel Perez go and give him his chance? I mean, that's kind of where that debate comes in, right? Like you set that standard for one guy. Are you going to follow it up and do the same with the other guy? Whereas yeah. Justin Henry Malloy has just as much playing time in AAA Toledo as Parker Meadows has had. So like that makes more sense from that, you know, strategy or from that standpoint. But at the same time, like you can't deny what Wenzel Perez is doing. I mean, he's walking more than he's striking out in Toledo. He, he's hitting doubles. He's hitting a hitting ton of singles. Homers. He's hitting some high some homers. I mean, he's not he I mean, look, he's not gonna be a home run, you know, a, a massive home run threat. Like that's a guy who I could see hitting, you know, maybe 10 home runs max at the big league level. But at the same time, if he's getting on base a ton, and maybe you can tap into some of that power, maybe you can get him to be a 15 homer guy, and you have a really good piece that can play infield, outfield, come off the bench for you, switch hitter. I mean, that that sounds like plus plus to me. Well, I, if I was Zach McKinstry, I'd be a little nervous about once. Well, he's kind of in that boat too, right? But but doesn't but again, don't all these guys kind of fit in that boat, right? Like yes. Colt Keith, second base and third base. More so, Justin Henry Malloy. You know, that's a guy who plays third base. He plays left field. He plays right field. If I'm Akil Badu, and if I'm Zach McKinstry, and you know, throw Zach Short in there too. I, I think they really like what he brings to the clubhouse generally. And but again, like TikTok, come on now. Those are guys that I would be, if I were them and if I were in their shoes, I would be a little bit worried about Wenzel Perez, about Justin Henry Malloy, about Ryan Kreidler. Like, I think Ryan Kreidler should probably get another look. And nothing against Zach Short. Like, I love the guy, great dude, plays hard, works his butt off, um, as nice of a guy as he gets. But at the same time, like, don't you want to see Ryan Kreidler or, or Andre Lipsius, like guys that are on the 40 man? So, when I'm talking about guys that maybe should be worried about their spot to finish the 2023 season and going into 2024, the list is somewhat short, but it's Akil Badu, Zach McKinstry, Zach Short, from a position player standpoint. I think that uh, if you are 12 games under 500 and you've been losing for seven years, you better <laughs> start looking at any player who could be an improvement on your roster Andy Abanez too. Like, I mean, that's a guy that look. I like what he brings. I, I I see the value, but at the same time, is he really a piece? No, he's not a piece. No, we both he's know a, he's not a piece. He's a placeholder, dude. So, I mean, is he a is he somebody's twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth guy? Yeah, especially a bad team. But Andy Abanez, he's done a few things this year. Let's not 
you no, know, I'm not knocking him, but I'm just saying, like, he's not I'm a just, long-term piece. Can, can we find better pieces than Andy Ibanez? Yeah, probably. So, and that's, that's the, the point is, on this team, sometimes guys that seem to be pieces end up being more than pieces. The Dodgers are great at doing that. They take a guy that seems like he's a piece and turn him into a four to 500 at bat guy that's optimized that really helps them. Good teams do that. Tampa does that. I mean, so we need to start seeing some of these kids. Why are they on the 40 if uh, we're not seeing them? And it's not like Wenzel Perez is going to be rookie of the year either. So, um, hey, September you know, 1st, it's coming, Mark. It's the rosters expanded for people that don't understand. It's not like the old days where they could bring up 27 guys. They can, I think, expand the roster by three now, right? Am Two. I wrong? They can two. expand by two. Okay. So it's going to go from 26 to 28. They're going to do one pitcher and one hitter. So, okay. Yep. Well, they also the plan. Can, and, and they also can DFA some guys so that, you know, if you wanted to bring up two pitchers, you could DFA Andrew Vasquez. Well, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, it's the, but it's the active roster, though. So, and, it, and at some point in time, I will not be shocked, although we haven't mentioned this, uh, one uh, Spencer Turnbull was optioned when his rehab assignment completed itself this week. And they said, Spence, we we think you need some more time uh, to work on your stuff. So you want to give that 30 seconds or I think everything that's been said has been said. (laughs) No, I mean, look, it's worth it just to mention the numbers. I mean, we got to touch on that. I mean, this is a guy who had a 7.26 ERA and seven starts for the Tigers before they optioned Toledo. And then he says, hey, I got this neck soreness. Like I I actually – you know, I'm injured, so you got to put me on the injured list. I've, I've been dealing with this injury. So the option, you know, gets rescinded. He gets placed on the injured list. He spends all of his time on the IL, makes his rehab starts, and he was absolutely miserable on rehab. Um, it was the performance was just no good. It was a 6.75 ERA, a 7.71 ERA in Toledo. He made four of those starts in Toledo, two of them in West Michigan. Obviously, he was better in West Michigan, but. Um, yeah, he was pretty bad in, in Toledo. I mean, not only a seven, seven, one ERA, but seven walks and only 18 strikeouts, 16 innings. It wasn't great. And so, yeah, he deserves it. Like it makes sense. Like I, I, is he a big league pitcher? No. Is he maybe one of the next two guys that get called up if they need another starter, him or Joey Wentz? Definitely. But he's not a guy that you want to insert right back into your rotation, especially because Erod stuck around. Now, if Erod would have got traded, maybe we're having a totally different conversation because, Another rotation spot is open. Maybe Joey Wentz is still struggling a little bit, and you got to make that move. You got to make that move. But it's not the case for Spence. I wouldn't be surprised if he spends the rest of the year in Toledo. There is one issue with that. I just need you to mention it with the service time. He's going to end up, if he stays in Toledo for the rest of the year, he's going to end up like three or four days short of the service time that he would need to become a free agent after the 2024 season. So the Tigers could pick up an extra year of control over Spencer Turnbull by about four days because of all this that happened. So not good for Spencer. I'm sure he's not happy about it, but at the same time, Mark, we've talked about it. Just pitch better. Well, all I'll say is when Spence got option last time in May and there was some drama. Yeah, it's not good. It's not it, good. It was some below deck drama. That was, you know, it was that was some drama. I said, I don't think he throws another pitch for the Detroit Tigers. I don't think this, he wants to throw another pitch for the Tigers. I think in a perfect world, and 
he, he would he would like to be traded, but <laughs> right. it didn't happen at the trade deadline because I, I there's no he, value. I think he would like to throw another pitch for the Detroit Tigers so that he doesn't have another year of service time True. remaining when the season's over. But yeah, I think the uh, the relationship and the career of Spencer Turnbull as a Detroit Tiger is likely over. That's which is that's a shame me. because the stuff is so nasty. Like the stuff is so good. I know we talked about that. You know, at Ed Nas, I mean, we talked about that over and over again, right? Like that's that's been a conversation since he got here. But man, he's just. If he could have put it all together, I mean, he's. Let me add some perspective for you. You'll enjoy this. I think the last time Spencer Turnbull was good, Nico Goodrum was a shortstop. So (laughs) that's that's how long it's been. So as your as your oh your point is that it's been a while, not what's actually good. Because again, we can get clouded by that bad teams. I mean, it's been a while, dude. It's. uh, It's been a while. Javi Baez was not the shortstop when Nico Goodrum threw a no hitter. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, he goes into a long list of guys that could have been that actually had a little bit of stuff, but we're really, uh, at the end of the day, um, kind of frustrating and disappointing, had their shot, didn't take advantage of it. So, all right. So I, I, I wanted, I wanted to, uh, to ask you a little bit about what you think about Cole Keith, but we're going to take our last break and we'll be back in a second. All right, we're back. All right. So Cole Keith really struggled in the month of August in Toledo, just like they were hoping he would, but, the last week he started to percolate, and uh, the last two days he's taken people's lunch money, hit a few homers, reached base I think eight or nine times. Uh, I don't think you can throw a pitch that's on the inner half of the plate to the guy. Um, and I would suspect with he's got 24 homers on the year, he's walked 9% of the time. He's over 300 collectively for the year. He's over 900 OPS. We do not know if he can play defense or not, but let's be really blunt about this for a second when you say that. Uh, Nick Maytown, one of the worst fielding third basemen in Major League Baseball based on both uh, DRS and OAA. And their defense was terrible against the Astros. Oh, my gosh. And Matt, Matt Verling... Uh, he can play third base. He's not good there, but he can play it. He just can't hit, which is something I've said for a long time. And God knows the other day, uh, I've enjoyed a lot of things that Zach Short has done this year. He's been really good at second and third. He's never, he's only okay at short and he's gotten a lot, a lot of hits with guys on base, but holy smoke on Friday night, was he terrible? Man, that's a game he'll forget. I mean, he'll probably never forget, but he booted two, maybe three. Uh, Didn't come through at the plate. It was just a nightmare. And let's be really honest. I tweeted something the other day. I mean, the Detroit Tigers are a minus 1.9, minus 1.9 war at third base this year. The defense there has been abysmal 
it makes you think that Nick Castellanos was okay at third base, just the caliber of defense they've gotten collectively, and they've gotten absolutely zero hitting. So my point would be, even if Cole Keith was a minus five or six DRS at third base, which no, is, it wouldn't matter if he was raking. But forget raking. What if he hit two sixty, three twenty, four fifty with twenty homers next year? How yeah, would that be? It wouldn't matter. That's great. Sign me up. Right. Sign me so, up. Because I mean, look, that's essential. I mean, look, I, I don't want to get back on the Jamer Candelario train, but like, isn't that essentially what Jamer Candelario is right now? I mean, granted, he's been a better defender this year, but like historically, you look at what he does defensively. Still a negative defender. Right, right. Like that's basically what Jamer has been. And I'm telling you, everybody in the world would take Jamer Candelario in twenty twenty three over what the Tigers have had in twenty twenty three. So like so my, yes, sign my, me up. My point is he's not going to violate the at-bats issue for being Rookie of the Year. Nope. Um, there's he a good is top chance, 100. Good chance, good chance he makes the team straight out of spring at third base. Decent Indeed. chance, right? Uh, 100%. I, I think there's almost no doubt about it. So, so if you're trying to suppress his service time and you're going to keep him down for two weeks before you play him, that'll only <laughs> – you can imagine the outrage – that would be a really bad look. That would yeah, be a really, really yeah, bad look. Yeah, look, Chris Chris Illich is used to bad looks. So yeah, I mean, but that's my, not that's not Chris Illich. I mean, that's a bad look on Scott Harris, and I don't think yeah, he wants that. Nor do I think he would do that. Well, so my point is, what's he doing in Toledo for the rest of the year? Well, that's a good point. But again, like I think that there's a chance that he comes up. We'll see. Again, who knows? I, I think he went through it in July, as we all know, and even in the beginning of August. But you go look at his August numbers. He's hitting 302 with six home runs, 10 walks, and 14 strikeouts in 21 games. He's been red hot in August for the most part. Like, look, this is a guy who knows what he's doing. He's able to he's been able to make an adjustment. And that was the biggest thing was to see him make that adjustment back. And honestly, like, if Cole Key finishes out the rest of the year in Toledo red hot, has his confidence going, and, and he feels like he has something to chase, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, what what is it? It's the it's the the rabbit running around or whatever with the carrot dangling or whatever. You know, you dangle the carrot, right? Like if you want to dangle the carrot with Colt Keith, like that's fine by me. Is that is that Ro- Rodinger's? Uh, I think right. I think that's what it's called Rodinger. It's Rodinger's maze. I don't know. You you sign yeah, something like that. Can, no, you yeah you can you can tell me uh, email email us. But but yeah no, I mean right. I think that's fine with me. Like I I wouldn't be really upset by that, especially because they're not going anywhere. Cole Keith is going to hit regardless of when he comes up. And, you know, again, what if he comes up and he is terrible and it's a total, like, it's in his head, it's really bad, he goes into the offseason, like, in a negative space. Like, that's the last thing that you want from a guy that you think could be, like, a legit dude. Not not only just, like, a piece, but, like, an elite-level piece. So Yeah, you, you look, know look, how look, I, f- I disagree I'm okay with 100%. letting him break out. Why? Because here's my theory. I think if Cole Keith came up here and got his butt handed to him, it would just make him mad and make him work even harder this winter. I think so too, but I also think he really wants to be in the big leagues this year. And if he's not, I think he feels like he still has something to prove. I think you can look at it both ways. Here's my attitude. If you think a guy's going to be a piece for you, a big piece, why are you pissing him off? I don't know if they're pissing him off. why Why aren't you trying to make him better? Why aren't you, aren't you giving him an opportunity? I mean, that's how that's how big teams do it. Okay, they don't sit on you forever and worry about your fragility. They give you a shot, and if it doesn't work out, it told us 
what you need to work on and they send you home to work on it and they bring you back. Because if you can play, you can play. Okay. Well, you know what, Mark? Maybe Monday's the day because the Tigers, uh, they put Isan Diaz through waivers. He cleared waivers. The 40-man roster, that 39 players, there is one spot open. Who knows? Maybe tomorrow's the day for either him or Justin Henry Malloy. But again, I think I think Justin Henry Malloy, at least in the Tigers' eyes, from the way that they've talked about it, from what I've heard, to them, he is more ready and more deserving of an opportunity than Colt Keith. Not to say that Colt Keith doesn't deserve an opportunity, but Justin Henry Malloy is more polished at this point than Colt Keith in the eyes of the Tigers. That's how I view it. Well, I I could understand not promoting Justin Henry Malloy for two big reasons. One, there's nowhere to play him, especially with Miguel taking up the DH at bats for the rest of the season. Okay. And two. But could you live with Malloy at third base for the rest of the year? Could you live with it? I think. To give his bat a chance to, to get a feel up here? Because I, I, I could. And he's someone that I feel like just because of how long he's been in Toledo, he probably deserves it. Like that he's probably in a point now where it's like, okay, like it's about time. Listen, Dave Littlefield, you and I need to have a little talk. I'm gonna explain a few things. Oh, calm to you. down. Who's gonna be who's gonna be your uh third baseman next year if you don't sign one? Go Who do you Keith. think? Right. So why are we wasting his development time and at bats on a guy who's never going to play an inning of third base next year because we don't want him to feel disrespected uh, because he's a, he's a terrible defender? I get your point, but I'm just trying to tell you how they might be thinking about it. Well, I, like I said, I'm sure Dave Littlefield, that was going to be his exact reasoning uh, as to why Justin Henry Malloy should be promoted. Well, I, Dave Littlefield isn't around anymore, so. Yeah, yeah, he's somewhere. He's getting a paycheck somewhere down there, driving a golf cart, picking up guys at the airport, doing something. He's, no, he's I, I, I already still in the organization. I, uh, think he, I think he might be out at this point, Mark. But you think he's out? I'm pretty damn sure Dave, he's out. Dave, I just want to tell you. If uh, he was doing some, he was doing some pro scouting as of last year. If, but I if don't, you're I don't still know if in the, if you're still in the org, DM me. I at least want to know if you're still somewhere poisoning the prospect pool. And uh, I just want to know you're still employed by the Detroit Tigers and the curse of Dave Littlefield is still a part of uh, of the last uh, six years. All so. I'm trying to say, Mark, I'm not trying to hate on what you're saying because I, I get your point. But <laughs> on the list of non-40-man roster guys, like when it comes to the pecking order, I believe that Justin Henry Malloy is above Colt Keith on that list. I love it when we disagree. But I'm not saying that I'm I'm not saying that. I mean, look, look, if I was running the team, I'd get him up here both right away. I get Winslow Prez up here right away. I mean, look, you, you know what I would do, but again, I don't make those decisions. That's all I'm saying. Well, all I can say is But we'll see. Everybody knows that I think I am qualified to make these decisions. Stop. And <laughs> and uh I, I would like to see Colt Keith here tomorrow. Uh, and everybody start, would, and in the lineup, hitting six, playing third base. Um, wouldn't that be so badass? It would renew my faith in the front office. That's all I have to say about it. Um, I did want to 
you know, in the last couple of minutes, I want to ask you a couple of things. I wanted to ask you about uh, Shohei Otani being hurt and what you think about that. And then I want to ask you a, a quick one about Matt Manning for the 26th time this year. So Shohei Otani, UCL, still hitting home runs. Talk to me. Yeah, I mean, it really sucks for his value as a free agent. I think he's still going to sign a big deal, obviously. And, you know, whatever team signs him is going to hope, hey, we're going to lock this guy up long term. He's going to rake for us. And at the same time, we got to get him to rehab the elbow. Um, So, yeah, hopefully that's the case. He's still going to get a big deal. But, again, $600 million, probably not. $500 million, probably not. $400 million, maybe, but maybe not. I'll Uh, give him $400 million. uh, Yeah, maybe, but... Maybe not. So we'll see what ends up happening there. I still think he's a Dodger, and I still think that he probably you know goes to the rehab and comes back as a pitcher, and maybe he comes back and he's really good. But at the same time, I mean, that's a lot of damage to the elbow. It's a lot to ask for him to come back again and do what he's doing. But you know what? If it, you know what? And Mark, if he doesn't come back, we got to witness the greatest baseball player to to ever do it. I mean, I, in his period of time. I mean, just no, just amazing. No argument. All right. You saw Casey Mize throw 20 pitches. Tell me what you saw. Nasty. Absolutely nasty. I'm so ready for Casey Mize to come back. He might not join the Tigers until next year. It doesn't look that way just because of the fact that, you know, there's only like, what, 32 games left now. So for him to go through a full rehab assignment doesn't look likely. They want to get him out on a rehab assignment, though, which I think could lead to an Arizona Fall League assignment. Now, the Tigers have said nothing about that. That's just, you know, that's just Evan Petzold saying what, what he thinks might happen. I think Arizona Fall League would make some sense for Casey Mize to get him a few more innings under his belt and let him go into the offseason with something that he feels like he can really build on to come back and be the guy that he wants to be for 2024. But the stuff looks super sharp. I really love the fastball. It was super firm. Casey Mize said mid-90s. Parker Meadows said 96, 97. They had the iPad out there with all the track man data. So all those guys, they were getting the, the, the velo readings you know, as it was going. So I'm going to believe Parker Meadows. I think Casey Mize might have been a little bit bashful with his mid-90s comment. I'm going to trust Parker Meadows when he said he was hitting 97. Casey Mize was still throwing the split. Looked pretty good. The curveball was really, really good. The slider wasn't as good. It's kind of like the last pitch to come for him. So he's going to keep working on that. Talked to Tarek Skubal after as well. And, and Tarek said, look, I've been around Casey Mize since 2018. That was the best that he's moved. The delivery is so clean. And that's a product of the work with Chris Fetter, Robin Lund, Juan Nieves. They took some time and they basically broke down the delivery in three parts. They went through some new drill work for each part of the delivery. And, you know, here we have it. Casey Mize has a, a super smooth delivery aided by the back surgery both a life-changing surgery for him and a surgery that's allowed him to clean up his delivery. I cannot wait to see what this guy looks like when he comes back because I think that, um, man, we have not seen the best of Casey Mize. There is so much more in there. We saw what he did at Auburn when he had the pinpoint command. If he's able to get that back through the clean delivery and through just like the firmness of his stuff and being able to you know, locate his pitches where he needs to, Sky is the limit. Sky is the limit if he's able to command his pitches. That's I, always been his calling card. He didn't have it with the Tigers when he was up here for his first three seasons. I think Casey Mize is going to be a dude next year. I think the I can't wait. They've you know the health issues have held him back. I think he'll throw slightly harder with more command, and the time has done him probably a world of good they fixed his back on top of it i'm excited to see what he can do and i'm hoping he can be a dude i mean if the tigers are able to keep erod 
and I hope they do. I hope they don't. Yeah, I know you don't, and other people don't either. But uh, I think they got the makings of a really good rotation, and it makes the offseason a lot simpler to navigate, knowing you have four really good starters. Uh, we don't need to talk about it a long time, but Matt Manning, last 17 innings, only allowed eight hits. Is Matt Manning in that list of four really good starters? I think he'll if get, so, you're delusional. I think he'll get shopped. I think uh, he's a unique pitcher. He's Matt Manning has not been very good. I mean, look, Matt Manning has been better over his last three starts. Don't get me wrong, but this is a guy who has four walks and six strikeouts over those last three starts. Don't his ERA care. is zero point five one, but you know what his FIP is? It's fielding independent pitching. It's four. Don't care. It's four. I care. That matters. I. It. You know what matters to me. He gets outs. He gets outs, and he's pitch efficient. And they don't hit his fastball when he's throwing his fastball with command. Did you and did I, you miss the fact that he had the back injury that it had to you know bring him out of the game? We'll see if he makes his next start or not. But listen, a lot of the injuries. The only person that gets the only person that gets hurt almost as much as Spencer Turnbull is Matt Manning. So I can understand people being frustrated by him. I also know in the last 140 innings, he's got a sub four ERA and he gets people out. So it's uh, if he's your fourth starter, I think he's kind of interesting. So I think he's very frustrating. He's not a real good listener. He's stubborn as a mule. And I could give you 85 other reasons why people don't like him. But I will say to you, if he is in attack mode with his fastball, he is not a bad pitcher. So anyway, uh I think 11 more days until the big day, huh, Ev? Yeah, it's coming up. I'm ready for it. I am ready for it. I cannot wait. I am, I'm super pumped, and I'm excited to let you do the podcast by yourself on the Sunday after the wedding. You're just going to get to do this thing all on your lonely. You're not going to have me to, to deal with, and um, I'll be interested to tune in once I come back from all that, and uh, I'll see how you did. I'll give you a grade. Uh, okay. I mean, it'll be the first time you listen to the podcast all year. So I'm going to be shocked if you do. Oh, don't tell my secrets now. (laughs) I, uh, had a long talk with Savannah today and, uh, the wedding I was told is still on. So yeah, the uh, wedding is still on. Everything's going good. Look, I mean, look, I mean, thank God for her because she is, uh, the glue that holds us together and she's been so good with everything that we've been doing just in terms of the planning and the prep. She's on top of it. Um, like nobody's business. And yeah, I mean, she's never been like this person who was all in on, on her wedding. Like she wasn't like dreaming of her wedding day as like a little girl or anything like that. She always knew she wanted to get married, but in terms of like having everything planned out, you know, kind of to the minute, like she, she never really was like that. And so to watch her do all that now has just been amazing. And she's absolutely crushed it. And I can't wait to marry the woman of my dreams. I am happy for you both. And it seems like Believe it or not, Evan Petzold may be the man of Savannah's dreams, which is hard for many to believe, but it's it's shockingly true. I'm surprised by it every day. I am very blessed. I'm excited for you. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, I want to re I want to hope everybody will still rate comment and subscribe you can write as terrible comments as you like i do get a kick out of them and uh please do it though it's how we improve our standing in the podcast community 
Uh, I'd like to thank our executive producers, sports editor Kirk Crawford and Anjanette Delgado. I'd also like to thank free press editor Nicole Avery. Uh, and I hope she gives a listen and she's a Tiger fan. I'd, of course, love to thank our boy Robin Chan, who always makes us sound good. Uh, and lastly, I'd like to thank Braden Michael Gorash, like I do every week, because that's my grandson. That's my boy. Uh, so, former partner Evan Petzl, I'd like to say this is Mark Gorash, and peace. Thank you.